0: Edwin, why do you have to carry your gun around? Because Sean oh, Bronson does it. He was paid to do it. He was an actor. I'm
1: just glad that you're obsessed with movies, Edwin. Thank you.
0: Hello, Secret Movie Clubbers, and welcome to Secret Movie Club Podcast 59. Today, we are continuing our series of discussions about different aspects of movie making, or our pieces of cinema series, as Connor called it. Today, we're talking about film editing, All of them are such big topics, but in in a weird way, editing is one aspect of filmmaking that in some ways is native to filmmaking itself. It's interesting when people talk about cinema, you know, you can talk about certain things like, well, it has something to do with the novel, and it has something to do with the play, and it has something to do with art or painting, and it has something to do with music, and it has something to do with a whole bunch of things, but editing, which is the act of taking all the different shots and putting them together, and sometimes it's even more than that sometimes you're using shots you didn't shoot, you're using found footage, but putting all these things, uh, these little pieces together to either tell a story or be a whole. That's very unique to filmmaking. And of course, there's editing in television and there's editing in music videos and there's editing in YouTube and TikTok and editing all over the place now. But it's really the act of putting shot A and shot B together. And that either creates a narrative flow or creates an idea or it creates an emotion. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Who's with us? Hey, it's Daniel.
1: Hey, it's me, Connolly Cruz, the people's champion. Dirty
2: Harry over here at <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> It's terrifying
1: i know
0: that's edwin gomez with a bb gun he took from his dad's kitchen which he assumes his dad knows is now gone but i don't know that that assumption is wholly justified i would tell your dad hey
2: man if it's just there laying there like oh i might as well take it free gun
3: it's a metaphor for editing when edwin says you're done he makes the cut
2: exactly <laughs> or i'll sam peck paw you which was a world of violence
3: so there
0: you go. So this one's off to a happy start. Uh, and my name is Craig. I am Craig Hamill. I'm the founder, programmer of Secret Movie Club. It's wonderful to have you guys with us. Hey, it's
3: good to be here, Craig. No, oh, thank you,
0: Uh, By the time you guys hear this It'll be Friday, May 28th And this week is crazy This week we are doing 35 millimeter prints of Good Time and Uncut Gems On both Wednesday and Friday We actually, originally it was going to be Friday And Friday is totally sold out And we've added Wednesday And Wednesday is almost completely sold out For folks listening to this podcast On Saturday, we are doing Edge of Tomorrow And Mad Max Fury Road on 35 At the Million Dollar Theater We got through our first Million Dollar screening last Saturday Saturday With the help of people like Edwin and Casey and Sarah and Stephen Brownlee, we did Scarface and Carlito's Way. And, you know, knock wood, it was actually a really good screening. And it was great to have everybody there. And then on Sunday, we are doing Lion King at uh, the drive in at Electric Dust Drive in. And then on Monday, we are doing an epic Kubrick triple feature. We're doing Doctor Strangelove 2001 and The Shining all on 35 millimeter. So if you want to spend your Memorial Day with us, we would love to have you. Dr. Strangelove is at 11 2001 is at 2 Shining is at 6 You can get all day parking We have all day parking passes That is at the historic Million Dollar Theater Movie Palace In downtown LA All on 35mm And then at some point this week We are going to begin Announcing our June And uh, we would love to have you At all those events And as always You can check out Everything we do At secretmovieclub.com You can write us At community At secretmovieclub.com Or podcast At secretmovieclub.com Alright Moving on You know, in the end, when you get down to it, filmmaking, it can be a solo thing. You can be like a novelist. People like Stan Brackage, who's one of my favorite avant-garde filmmakers, and actually just one of my favorite filmmakers, period. People like Stan Brackage are essentially one person bands they write direct edit shoot come up oftentimes there's not even actors in uh, their pieces and you can do that but other than the stan brackages and the avant-garde filmmakers who are somehow able to do everything almost all filmmaking is a team and a collaboration and one of the key collaborators you're ever going to have is an editor in general Usually an editor is the person that you trust if you're a writer, director or just a director to look at what you shot and to say this works, this doesn't work. I think it should go together this way. I don't think it should go together this way. Now, that's not always true. A lot of directors like to edit their own stuff. So what they look for in an editor is someone who's going to back them up and someone who's going to help protect them from the producers and the studio who want the movies to be edited differently, want things taken out. But many directors, I would say the good ones, do want an active creative collaborator who's an editor who's going to say, I know you thought that single shot was great. It needs to go. And it can get to the point where a good editor will say, you don't need That scene, or we need to reshoot that scene. And it goes beyond that to coming up with great ideas of how cuts you never imagined or intended to go together. A great editor will say, Well, what if you move this here and this here and this here? Man, oh man.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree. Editing is the thing that separates film and television because it's native to television as well. That's a whole other debate is what the difference between film and TV is. I kind of feel like it's the difference between an LP and an EP, but. Editing really consists, like all these other crafts, I'm kind of worried that going through these, I'm going to repeat myself a bunch. It's just kind of a combination of talent and craft. Talent being something that's, I think, probably hard to acquire. You just either have it or you don't to a certain degree, though I think you can obviously train it. In editing, I think that talent is rhythm. It's kind of the same talent that musicians have, which is being able to feel when things are working and when things aren't. And then craft is just understanding what you're doing and understanding uh, the basic principles of editing, mainly that whenever you cut between things, you are creating relationships between those things. And to pretend like you're not or to like not acknowledge that is to completely fail as an editor.
0: Really great editors and directors understand what you're saying. Eisenstein, the Russian filmmaker Sergei Eisenstein has these two amazing books I think they're called film form and forgive me, I have them and i I'm, I'm blanking but Eisenstein really put forward all these amazing theories about editing, and one of them was that a good cut shot a is like the thesis shot B is the uh, antithesis and then the idea that's created in your head from those two shots going together is called the dialectic so for instance, if you have a shot of a guy crying and then you cut to a shot of a kid laughing, and then you cut back to a shot of a guy crying, depending on everything Connor said, that could be very comedic. It could be that the kid is laughing at the adult. It could be tragic depending on the performances. It could also be really mysterious. It could also be like, well, what do these two things have to do to go together? And But I would say, Connor, in a weird way with editing, there's a lot of editing where people don't think about that. It's just sort of the idea of, oh, I got to get to the next shot, to the next shot, to the next shot, to the next shot.
1: What that is, is the Kuleshov effect. That's my tip. Cinematography, i talk about the 180 degree roll. For editing, I'll talk about the Kuleshov effect, which is K-U-L-E-S-H-O-V for people who are wondering. Hitchcock has a very famous... Example of it that he did where it was a bunch of close-ups of his face and then it would cut to a bowl of food and then to a a casket and then to uh, children playing. And when you cut from a guy's blank face to a bowl of food, you assume he's hungry. When you cut from a guy's blank face to his casket, you assume he's sad. And it's just... It's why in a movie, when someone says, like, and there's only one man for the job, and then you cut to somebody... You know, if you cut to somebody looking serious, it's like a cool moment. Or if you cut to somebody, like, you know, taking just, like, a enormous dump on the toilet, then it's a joke cut. But it's the same idea, basically. It's why... I'm going to bring up an example of, I think, some of the worst editing of the last decade in Batman v. Superman, Dawn of Justice, when the movie cuts to the newspaper that Clark Kent works at, and Perry White is like, where's Clark Kent? Where's Where's that guy at? Did he click his heels and fly back to Kansas? And then we cut, and instead of cutting back to Kansas, we cut to 10 minutes of Batman stuff and then cut back to Kansas. And it's really bad because of that. Your brain, even if you don't know these rules, I think some part of your brain is like, that's wrong. Like, that's not that's not right. That's not how that works.
3: I think it's so interesting. For one thing, I think, especially young filmmakers and film students, there's this obsession with gear in terms of how your the movie you're making at the time is going to look. And I think so much of what makes something feel professional versus what makes something feel amateur is in the edit. I'm sure we'll talk at some point about sound and stuff, but like great sound and great editing will mask the lowest budget things. It suddenly makes things feel as if you have a real hold on the grass and the storytelling. And editing's great because you prep the thing, you shoot the thing, and then the edit, if you have a great editor, and I think you need a great editor, you can edit your own stuff. But I think there's there's such value in having someone who's on the same wavelength as you and is not afraid to challenge you on what you think you're trying to get from the story you're telling and what they think is being shown because it's very hard to divide that when it's content that you are close with because if you think about on set oh we had this crazy day getting this shot and it took us 30 times and that's staying in the movie because it was so hard to make but then your editor says what is this adding to the story at this point except slowing us down and they really make you stop to think about what you're portraying as a storyteller and it's a very hard thing to master because it I always feel like editing seems like such an easy thing to do but it's the first thing people like for me I get a lot of work in editing because it's the thing people realize they don't understand what good editing is because you feel it I feel like you, you feel when it's good when you watch something but you feel it when it's bad but you may not be able to speak to the differences of those so it's a thing that I found if you're someone hungry to get into the world of film especially in LA editing post-production stuff is a great intro because there's people always need that and they need people that are good at it that can talk about it. And also it's from a perspective of of different types of editing. I think you have to talk about documentary filmmakers because a lot of time a documentary, the entire thing is built in the edit. You have you know if you're working from archive footage with talking heads then you have to figure out a way to tell a story that's interesting with stuff that you weren't there for but the people that are telling you know if it's if it's a historical thing that's being retold people are retelling these events and you have to sort of build an emotional foundation through this stuff that is not yours but in a way that takes a story and I've talked about it before but there's there's a movie called um Dawson City Frozen Time and the entire premise of that is building a narrative through found footage and so editing is this weird art form that can be so many things because what you can do with it and the way you can manipulate and tell your stuff is so unique. It's like, it's vast. I have no, I, I, I don't even know how to like word it all. It's, it's nuts. And
0: Daniel, actually, you brought up something I think that's also key. And again, it's only if a director is willing to do this is your editor is in some ways your first audience and many editors choose not to be on set, not to read the script not to actually even get too cozy with the director in terms of pre-production and things like that, because often good editors just want to look at a shot and just want to say, does that work or does it not work? Are the performances good? Are they not good? Does this tell the story? Does it not tell the story? And a lot of good editors just want to be in the room and get the footage. And they often tell you things you don't want to hear. You know, one of the things I've heard Scorsese say, which I agree with, but I think it's a real hard lesson for directors is Scorsese said, if you don't throw up seeing your first assembly or your first. Cut. You're probably not going to be a good director. <laughs> and, you know, th- you, that sounds like he's being Scorsese or t- hyperbole, but I think what he's saying is if you're not willing to be brutal and be like, oh my goodness, there are a lot of problems here and we got to fix them. This sucks. Yeah, this sucks. <laughs> uh Then you're never going to whip it into shape. And I think a good editor does that. A good editor is like, hey. Oh, well, editing is part of the
2: filmmaking, man. That's where
0: the real magic happens.
2: Without a good editor, the movie would have been. Screwed. Like, for instance, Star Wars had a ton of footage, thought it was going to be a complete mess until the great editors of Star Wars fixed
0: it, made a lot of money and won an Oscar for Best Editing as well. George Lucas's wife, Marsha Lucas, and the famous editor, Paul Hirsch, who wasn't quite as famous at the time, but he'd cut for Brian De Palma. But Paul Hirsch is one of the industry's most famous editors. The two of them, George Lucas would say, for years after, he, whenever he met Paul Hirsch, he would say, here's the guy who saved my movie. One of my
2: favorite uh, edits in a movie is, um, I just saw this recently, Sam Peckinpah's The Killer Elite. It's a very strange edit of a shootout and ninjas on a ship barge. There's a scene where, I forgot the guy's name, but he shoots one of the bad guys and there's this shot of him just slow-moing, falling into the water. It cuts back to him shooting at more bad guys. It cuts back to the guy falling, falling, falling. It cuts back to the guy shooting and, and he hits the water and it cuts back to that. It's very strange. I love Sam Peckinpah's editing. I feel like he edits most of his films because there's always a touch of uh, slow-mo and cutbacks to explosions and um, and other things. But Killer Elite probably has... Quite Crazy as editing in that picture.
0: You're now Edwin's actually talking about something that editing can do that's almost impossible to do in any other art form or discipline, which is you can elongate time or condense time in really, really weird ways if you know how to edit. One of the guys who's great at this is Spielberg, who, and I've, I've probably used this example before, but if you ever watch the Indiana Jones movies, he pulls this trick, which is a cheat. It's it's a literal cheat, but for some reason it works. Where think a Temple of Doom. I'll just use one I don't think I've spoken about before. When Indiana Jones and Short Round are in the spike room and the spikes are coming down, Spielberg does this thing where you see the spikes touching their head and then he'll cut away to Willie outside trying to find the handle. And when he cuts back into the room, the spikes are a little above again, coming back down into their head. So you keep having this feeling that they're about to be impaled. But what Spielberg's doing is he's creating tension and then cheating a little bit by going a little back in time. But he does it so cleverly, unless you watch it over and over again, you don't realize that he's cheated the sort of sense of time they would have been dead with the way he does it but that's what gets you to to be so nervous so Pod does something like that too edwin where he'll show slow motion and he'll repeat and he'll cut back and it'll look like a guy gets shot like 80 times and he'll show it from different angles and oh
2: another one that's my favorite is the wild bunch wild bunch has some crazy as anything especially with the shootouts the opening scene where the robin did bang just like constant back-to-back bodies just flying everywhere and bullets going through the bank. And oh my God, it's such a crazy movie with tons of crazy editing. I love that movie. If we're talking about
1: editors, I was going to talk about Michael Kahn, who's Steven Spielberg's, Because I think what you're talking about, you never think about that, about that Temple of Doom thing. You never think about that while you're watching it. He edits those movies where they're effortless. And part of this is obviously he's granted the gift of being able to edit the footage that Spielberg is shooting Spielberg is maybe the best action director in terms of having you understand what's happening. Like when you watch Spielberg's movies, you always understand the mechanics of the scene when he sees Marion the first time again in raise the lost Ark and that bar fight. And you just understand everything. And part of that's the cinematography, but a big part of that's the editing. Is when one person shoots, you then cut to where that bullet goes. And it seems very simple, but it's smooth as butter in there. And then, I don't know if this is my favorite cut, but a cut I really like. An example of a match cut. To explain what a match cut is, is when you cut between two things that are similar in some way. Like shape is a very similar thing to do. You'll cut from like a circle object to another circle object. In the movie Hostel, directed by Eli Roth and cut by George Fulsey Jr., I'm going to explain a couple shots. Basically, Hostel, if people don't know, it's about these kids They go to a hostel and rich people bid on them to torture them to death. Halfway through the movie, the main characters, this buddy they met on their, like, trip, their backpacking trip through Europe, disappears. And at the same time, this Asian girl who has another friend, another Asian girl, she disappears. And they get this text basically being like, hey, we left together and everything's fine. And then we cut to this shot where the left-hand side of the shot is this long-ass hallway. The right-hand side is a close-up of the guy who supposedly left, obviously dead now. And we see one of these torturers, very, very slow, long shot of him walking down this hallway with these pliers. At the end of the hallway is the Asian girl, the one who's missing. And we cut to a close-up of her toe and the pliers, we see them wrap around the toe And then it cuts to a close-up of the other Asian girl, the one who isn't captured, who's like free and nothing bad is happening to her. We cut to a close-up of her toe as she's clipping her toenails. (laughs) It's obviously kind of a a showy edit to a certain degree, but I think it's great because it gets at what I was talking about, the power of that connection, where it's one of the most queasy moments in the movie. And that movie has some pretty intense gore, and there's no gore in that scene. But our brain is able to make that connection about what's happening there. And the movie is kind of teasing us with the nail clippers, but it's also sort of creating that connection and creating something that's way worse than if we had actually
0: been able to see it probably. I think for people who love editing, there are different kinds of cuts and the match cut that you're talking about creates an idea. And what's interesting is you can do that in a number of different ways. You can also do match cuts where someone's in one location and then suddenly they're in another location, but it's framed in such a way that it feels like they should still be in the previous location. And that creates a lot of great movement. You can also do things, you can create irony with cutting and creating irony is that kind of thing where someone in shot A says, I've never been happier. And then you cut to shot B and like He's yelling at his wife and his wife's throwing Things at him and then you like Totally know that he's lying but those
3: have To be thought out or discovered I took three different types of editing that I think is very interesting. The first one was um, working with something like Greta Gerwig's Little Women, which takes a, a known story that's had several iterations. The entire thing is framed around intercutting back between the past and the present in terms of where uh, the main character is in her life. So we see her in her childhood and then her as an adult, essentially. And the way it uses that framing to find new emotion through a story that's sort of tried and true, it basically takes something that you know and makes it fresh by changing the way the story is told in the edit. And I think that's such an interesting idea because it, you basically get to reapproach something that is known to you and find new ways to shift kind of how the emotions play out, how the plot beats play out, because you can have these cuts and the one I think of... For that film in particular is when one of the little women, one of the titular little women, gets sick as a child and then gets sick as an adult. And there's a there's a scene in the child where uh, Saoirse Ronan, who plays Joe, comes downstairs thinking that the worst has happened. And the mom and is hugging the sister at the table. They're having breakfast together. And it's a really beautiful moment. And then we intercut to them as an adult. And the bed's empty again, she comes downstairs, but now it's this slow pan, the same shot to an empty table. And the sister has passed and it's sort of if you have that in chronological order it still is effective because you're sad to have lost a character you spent a lot of time with but now you see sort of you see how the adult version of joe is affected how that changes her her outlook while you still see her as a kid and i think that's really fascinating I always turn to just cheat with the poster behind me. I think an example of someone who uses editing, as one of the main tools in their toolkit is Edgar Wright's stuff, which I think gets talked about a lot. The energy of his his stuff, specifically Hot Fuzz, is framed around this energy with his editing style and the way he uses match cuts and intercutting and uh, all of these moves that sort of take normally mundane things. You know, you have someone traveling on a train and how do you shoot that, but also edit it where you feel something beyond just watching a car go from point A to point B. And he uses a lot of that great, like Connor was talking about, the the matching cut for comedic effect where you have someone being murdered and when they get struck on the head by the murderer's weapon, you intercut to the main character sitting down in a chair to watch a movie and you have shots of him going to sleep and the the framing shifts where now it's the morning and he's awake doing his stuff. And there's a lot of great, I feel like you could pick apart a lot of his movies and just watch the editing and he shifts editors, which is, I was curious to hear what you guys have thought is you have some directors work with the same editor their entire life and they have a very distinct style that works really well together and within that sometimes when they shift you can feel that someone else is working with them the easy one from recent things that I think about is Tarantino's work when his original editor passed away I believe Django Unchained was the first thing done by a different editor it felt different and I can't tell if that's just a psychological thing because I knew that something had happened or if it's the movies became a little bit longer they feel a little bit looser somehow that doesn't mean it's better or worse but it does feel like someone else is now collaborating
0: it's often interesting when you see the truly great editor like I would say D.D. Allen, a lot of folks know about D.D. Allen, but D.D. Allen cut Bonnie and Clyde. D.D. Allen cut Dog Day Afternoon. D.D. Allen cut tons and tons of stuff. And I would have this weird experience where I'd be like, wow, I'm not usually a fan of this director, but I love this movie. I remember feeling that was Slapshot. And I like George Roy Hill, but there was just something about Slapshot and Slaughterhouse-Five where I was like, man, these. And I was like, and who was the editor? It was D.D. Allen with Paul Hirsch who we talked about. When you look at John Hughes movies with Paul Hirsch, or you look at Brian De Palma movies with Paul Hirsch, and then you look at John Hughes movies or Brian De Palma movies without Paul Hirsch, you actually see a difference. There's a rigor that the two of them, they create an alchemy. There's so many people to talk about, but the person that just came to my mind that is Kurosawa, and I've talked about this before, there are only a few director editors. There are a lot of writer directors. There are a number of director DPs, But in my mind, there's only—I think you could count them on less than one hand—director-editors who are maybe as brilliant or more brilliant as editors. And people in Japan would often say that Kurosawa was Toho's greatest director, Japan's greatest writer— but the world's greatest editor. And you would only know what they meant by that if you know how Kurosawa shot. But Kurosawa would shoot a lot of things with three cameras to save money. And so he would do whole scenes with three cameras and he'd just say, get this, get this, get this. And sometimes he would do sequences with 10 cameras to get the battles and this, that, and the other thing. And no one would know how it would cut. And he always had white gloves on set because at lunch, he wouldn't take lunch. He would just go edit and then he would come out and people would talk about these crazy things where they would shoot something for three, three days. And they would get two hours of footage. And when they go to see the movie, it would be three seconds. And they said, but those three seconds, they were like, those were the three seconds. You know, one of the great things I was taught when I was at USC, I made a short called Foot in the Mouth. I remember that I was the editor on it because I love editing and I edited it. But I went to my editing mentor, who was a guy named Bill Haugsey, who had edited Hoop Dreams. And I loved Bill. And Bill was, (laughs) Bill was brutal. And Bill watched my movie and he told me two things at the same time. One thing was, he was like, Craig, this movie was a lot better than I thought it would be, which meant the world to me. I think he didn't think I was going to put out like a good short. And he said, but number two, you cut it linearly. And he was like... You got a DJ in this movie. I want you to take that DJ from the half point of the movie, move it to the front. Have that wide angle shot of the DJ intro the movie, cut to your title, then cut back. And I had never even thought to move the footage that way. That was never intended. That wasn't in the script. I never thought about it. And Bill taught me this amazing idea that once you're done shooting your movie, forget about the script. Forget about how you intended to put stuff together. Look at what you have. And then figure out how to move it around And that trick I realized if you guys Know Goodfellas that's what Scorsese Does the opening of Goodfellas is the Middle of the picture and that just sets you Up for everything and then it cuts back Imagine how Goodfellas would feel if you just Started with Henry Hill as a kid rather Than seeing Henry and Tommy And uh, Jimmy killing the guy In the 1970s So I also would say good editing is moving Sequences around and that's also Something that not everybody's comfortable doing a lot Of directors don't want to you know there's a horrible phrase but it's called killing your babies and a lot of directors don't want to kill their darlings and the best directors do and i think that's what they meant about kurosawa
1: well scorsese seems specifically good at that and he works with thelma Schoonmaker. and his movies always feel like they're kind of more editing heavy than other sorts of crafts and other sorts of movies that they're movies that are found they're like editors movies
0: the editor is not a glamorous job. I mean, we know the names of the editors because we're movie nerds. But the editor often, I mean, it's its a cliche if you ever see a movie about Hollywood. There's always like that cliche of like you just save the picture. But often editors save movies. They literally save movies that wouldn't have worked. You know, the industry knows they saved the movie, but everybody else gets the credit. But the editor point blank,
2: which I saw Saturday and that movie has some ridiculous ridiculously good ass editing, like it's like the most psychedelical editing I've ever. My favorite editing is when he's in the house and he goes back to when he busts into the the room with the girl and he shoots the bed multiple time with a slow mo. I love that. That's my favorite edit. It. No, actually, no. There's there's multiple stuff in that way I really dug. Uh, the part where he's making love and he cuts back to his friend, cuts back to him, cuts back to his friend, cuts back to him. That was
0: crazy. Yeah, I was
2: like, what the hell is happening? the edit where he has a flashback to his friend that's pulling him on the phone. You're my friend, Walker. You're my friend. And it comes back to him. It's like, I don't know. It's I think that that movie might be my favorite of all. The movie have seen with, with the great edit. That movie to me is like, wow. This is like the holy grail. The, the, the mother of all edits. I don't really pay attention to the edits that much in movies, but when I saw Point Blake, i like, holy sh**. This is amazing. I don't pay attention to John Borman's stuff that well, but when I saw this, like this opened my
0: eyes to a whole nother level. I'm
2: so glad I saw this movie and I have it, which I might see again.
0: We did Point Blank on 35mm just this weekend at the club and we had, it was a beautiful print. It was a great print. We lucked out. The Kit Carter and Point Blank print.
2: Little colored distortion on yeah. the
0: print. <laughs> the timing was, yeah, some of those shots were pretty yellow. That's for sure. But Edwin, even though I love Point Blank and I've always loved Point Blank, watching it this weekend was another revelation to me that's a movie to study for editing like you're talking about i think nowadays people think editing is oh i shot all this stuff and i'm gonna cut it together but in point blank he cuts across time so he'll have one scene and it'll be the present, and it'll suddenly cut to the past, and it'll suddenly cut to what might be a fantasy. There's so many chances and risks they're taking in there to create a psychological and emotional story, and that, to me, is amazing editing. You don't see that kind of editing anymore. It's kind of a bummer. I don't see see that in movies anymore.
2: Besides Soderbergh, because he said he steals for that movie every time he shoots a movie, and I could see... Including the yellow color timing. (laughs) I I could see some of the hints of Soderbergh in that movie, like, oh,
3: and Soderbergh is, is another crazy editor as well. Out of sight was edited by Ann v Coates, who also cut lawrence of arabia so he's worked with some incredible people to like really gauge and like refine his craft with too
1: you can find a lot in editing too i've done a lot of like comedy sketch editing in the past that's like a big thing is you can find stuff in there one of my favorite things to do is to leave in multiple takes in a comedy sketch because it's always just funny to see someone be like how's it going Hey, how's it going? Like them doing multiple takes of the same line. And you can, just, you can just leave it in there and it creates this really weird, unnatural, uncanny performance thing that's pretty funny. Or you, you cut to somebody like giving a reaction to something that they weren't giving a reaction to. You can do that comedy
0: thing. You have to do it very carefully, though, where like you just have someone looking blankly and you just keep cutting back to them. And whatever the other person is doing, you could have someone just be like, ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
3: And then you cut to the other person just looking at him. And eventually it becomes hilarious. I think the most substantial piece of editing in, in terms of almost none in, in Flash, but all in sort of insane scope and ambition was boyhood, mostly because you're dealing with 12 years of content that also not only on a technical level is continually evolving because uh, updates in technology, but having to plan ahead because things you don't consider going to happen. You need voiceovers to happen to capture potential things because puberty is going to change voices and and there's sort of this, this scope and how do you tell a story that pushes three hours but never drags because it has these really incredible ebbs and flows to the way it cuts and the way time passes because it gives us the time to pass that it's long enough that you can have the time pass with these characters and I, I've always really taken when I, I took some friends to see it when I was home in Oklahoma and after one or two jumps in time my buddy was like it's crazy that these actors that they cast look so much like their younger counterparts and we're like <laughs> oh it's, it's really them and it's the way that they hide those moments where it's a haircut or it's the change in voice that suddenly makes you aware of that time has passed. Oh, and Boyhood was edited by Sandra Adair. I thought that was a point to point out. And I think on the complete opposite end of of types of editing is Mad Max Fury Road, which is Margaret Sixel. I mean, one of my favorite movies the last 10 years, but from an action perspective, it sort of goes against all of the action stuff that has become kind of popular in the the 10, 15 years leading up to it, where it was all about showing you everything and making everything super cohesive. Part of that is because so much of it's framed in the center. But I think Margaret really, because the pace of the movie is a two hour car chase, she actively works to make sure that everything is about speed and progression and that includes these big action beats where the flow of everything like Connor was saying geography is everything and you're on moving cars and specific parts of the vehicle and the way that she showcases where this action is going to take place it always makes sense no matter where the camera's placed that we know where we are when something bad is about to happen to these characters and I feel like that will become a standby piece shown for action editing and it should be because it's it's just absolutely kinetic and I don't know if anything captures that energy quite like that does.
0: George Miller had a very specific framing approach to Mad Max Fury Road so they could cut the way they cut. Yeah,
3: he framed all the action center frame so that you never had to move your eyes to catch up on what was happening. So if a punch was thrown, it was thrown toward the center so that when the cut happened, you were still looking at the center. You were never having to study the screen to find the action. You could obviously see the stuff happening in the backgrounds if you wanted to, but his goal with that was to always make it that your eyes could be directly center and you would follow every beat so that you always felt everything that was going on. I edited a feature doc documentary for Henry Mortensen. And the concept of a documentary is so interesting and different than anything I've done working with my projects or other people's projects, because it's, you know, 250 hours of stuff dumped in your lap. And you sort of have this general idea of what this thing's supposed to be. But you really have to find this collaboration to be like, what is this, you know? You have people talking about this thing that you're passionate about, but what is the story you're telling that isn't just talking heads telling you all the little details of whatever, how do you make something interesting sort of come from it? I commend all editors and in specifics to documentary I sometimes when I watch documentaries I honestly can't compute how they pulled it off or how you sit through a lot of times especially with a lot of the current trends of documentaries being true crime and stuff like that I just can't envision living in that world for that long having to figure out finding something like that to work with Material that comes from real life because you're you're making something entertaining from stuff that is so you know, maybe the subject matter is not entertaining. And finding the line of how you do that is I, I can't really comprehend. So I commend that type of storytelling. And
0: I love documentaries. And I actually, you know, I I talk on this podcast a lot about how I'm still determined to make my first feature. But the way that I've been filmmaking since my late 20s is I've made one or two documentaries a year, all the way up to this current moment. And one of the things that's fascinating about documentary is Is that the editor is essentially the screenwriter It's really hard to explain But you get all this footage And then you start writing the script And then you go oh well okay if I'm going to write it this way Then I need more of this or I'm going to do more of that But also too to your point Daniel about docs Is I'm always blown away when a doc has 200-300 hours of footage And they're going to somehow tell a like 90 minute story
3: That's just nuts to me Did you see the documentary Apollo 11 from a few years ago That was about the Apollo It was all from 70 millimeter found footage Of the launch of the Apollo 11 mission but there's zero talking heads and there's zero new footage the entire thing which was um, edited by Todd Douglas Miller who was also the director the entire you know 90 minutes or two hours is is completely contained around that footage he found so he finds a way to tell the story through nothing added all through edit and I think it's I don't think it's a power I have but it is such an impressive and striking thing when someone pulls it off like that
0: there's so many things we haven't even touched on you know Woody Allen and I'm just going to talk about Woody Allen as a filmmaker he had this really weird thing where and I think he had this luxury because his budgets were so small and he had built up a reputation but you guys may or may not know this but Woody Allen would throw out and entire movies, or he would throw out entire acts of his movies and rewrite them and reshoot them. He did September three times and he recast. Chris Walken was in it, then he got rid of Chris Walken, he put someone else in it. Crimes and Misdemeanors, which is one of my favorite Woody Allen movies, the third act was originally totally different, and he had edited the whole thing together, and he said, this third act doesn't work. Cut the third act, rewrote the third act, and reshot the third act. And that's a kind of editing. You have to have that luxury, but those are called reshoots. I often find that really smart directors work into their budgets two weeks, three weeks, if you can do it, of reshoots. Because sometimes you can shoot a movie and you can go 70% of this is working. Oh, but I I didn't get this scene or I didn't get this or this would land this emotional punch. And if you can go back and you had the budget for it, it's the way that Broadway shows do it. You know, they'll go out of town, they'll run it and they'll be like, this scene isn't working. Uh, Wong Kar Wai does that. Maybe I should have used him. He's probably a bit of a more politically correct example these days. But Wong Kar Wai, if you ever see the behind the scenes of In the Mood for Love, That started as a comedy he initially it was Tony Leung and Maggie Chung and it's all this slapstick like he's coming in with pots to the like hotel room and it's like and she's like putting on makeup really quickly and he was going to shoot this zany romantic comedy (laughs) and you're watching it and you're like wait this is in the mood for love and then Wong Kar-wai was like ah, maybe I'll do this maybe I'll do that and then he slowly discovered what that movie was going to be and again it must be the luxury of being Wong Kar-wai and having a reputation being able to discover a movie another Another director that I love, who I think is a director editor, Jean-Luc Godard, French new wave filmmaker who influenced almost everybody after him. But he would do this stuff. He would sometimes just drop in four bars of music and he would just do it over and over and over again. Or he would have someone talking, but he would take out the dialogue. And he would just put in a lion roar or gunshots. Or sometimes he would have someone talk. He'd cut to a black screen that would have a word. He would cut to a gunshot. He would cut back or he'd cut to just frames of black. And it people didn't even think about that they were always trying to make the editing invisible and Jean-Luc Godard was you know Connor to your point about rhythm he made editing almost like percussive he he kind of got that like editing could be this musical percussive thing that would create its own feeling its own kind of energy and kineticism and emotion and I love that kind of editing too so there's just all sorts of editing to think about Final thoughts Connor. Hey,
1: how's it going guys? I started streaming video games at twitch.tv slash ConnorCruise again And that's it. I do Thursdays and Saturdays usually and there's a lot of highlights on my channel If you can't catch those.
2: Still watching movies, uh, took a trip to Braindead Cinema yesterday Saw Face Off for like the first time in God knows how long. Wow. A movie with a face in each line Pristine. Nicolas Cage? Awesome. Whole movie? Masterpiece Shootouts, John Woo. One of John Woo's favorite movies. Nicholas Cage trying to be John Travolta, John Travolta, trying to be Nicholas Cage. Amazing, truly amazing. And uh, also, I I have a new BB gun, and it's uh it's a forty five kind of like in Die Hard or any other 80s cop movies I have this kind of particular again and uh, I have a Super 8 camera
3: now which I will get to shooting very soon yeah that's it we screened Point Blank this weekend I had never seen it and I can't stop thinking about it I would love to get just beat up by Lee Marvin. Not something I thought going into it, but he's got an energy to him that I am scared of and also like confused by. And then I also revisited Book Smart, which was one of my favorite movies from 2019, and it's such a good movie. If you haven't seen it, Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deaver. It's a great rated R comedy. I don't know. It's so good. That's all I got. That's all I got. One of
0: those actors, those two leads from Booksmart is now doing Richard Linklater's most audacious time thing. Have you heard about this thing?
3: Yes. Linklater's filming a a musical. Sondheim's Merrily We Roll Along. But he's filming it over, I think, 20 years with the two leads of it so that they'll age in real time. Oh, God. You know, I said, oh, God, when Boyhood was announced and then I saw Boyhood and I was like oh if there is a higher power we'll get a a before trilogy sequel next year I'll take I'd like that a lot I, I wouldn't take that
0: we showed Moana last night and I'd never seen Moana I loved Moana and I was sitting there and I'm sure part of it had to do with the fact that I'm exhausted and trying to you know make all these things happen and it's a real struggle and a schlep and that affects your emotions but I was watching Moana And just thinking there is a kind of filmmaking And the the directors of uh, Moana directed Little Mermaid As well as a number of other things And now they're doing the new movie that's coming out at Sony That looks really good too The Millers meet the machines Moana is just one of those things where there's music Written by Lin-Manuel Miranda And I love musicals So I was watching that and it worked And whenever everybody burst into song in the village And there was like a good turn of music I got really teary-eyed The chicken thing I don't know why that works so hilariously but the sort of dumb chicken who she just has on the whole journey who doesn't seem to serve a plot point at all until he does I thought that was great I loved how they figured out a way to have uh, moana have a relationship with Maui but it wasn't about like finding a husband or a boyfriend or anything they were just like on this adventure together in this weird way I was really inspired about it because she goes and tries to do this impossible thing and there are a lot of points it's just classic movie making there's just a lot of points where it's impossible and she's in over her head and there's no way that she's going to do it, but she keeps plowing on and she keeps plowing on and I just like you know it was a story I needed to see if people haven't seen Moana I would say I, th- I think it's probably one of the best Disney movies of the last 20
3: years it's great the crab song that uh, Jermaine Clement sings is so good just a flight of the concord song yeah Disney's recent string of animated musicals has been pretty strong I've had I've had a good time with them they also did um I don't know if you saw Big Hero 6 from t- a few years back Big Hero 6 was very good I was very surprised by that too
0: I need to see that I haven't seen Zootopia Big Hero 6 uh Wreck-It-Ralph
3: yeah honestly they're on kind of. Of a nice streak with their animation stuff.
0: Yeah, that, and I guess that's all I was going to say. Is i have suddenly watching Moana. I had this realization. I definitely like Moana a lot more than Frozen, personally.
2: Frozen, <laughs> I'm going like to burn in hell. If you ever show that, I quit.
0: So let it go. I already did show. We did show it. Well, Good Town wasn't there. <laughs> okay. Anyway, there you guys go. Uh, I'm not going to ramble on it. Just watch Moana. It was inspired. It's the kind of movie you need when you need to keep on keeping on.
3: Can I leave one last piece of information that I've just discovered? Timothy Chalamet has been cast in a Willy Wonka origin movie. Who cares? I read that. I said the exact same thing. And then I looked in great confusion that it's being written and directed by Paul King, who did Paddington and Paddington 2. And I am oh. confused, but now also very engaged with why a man who can do anything is choosing to do this. And now I, my, my brain is just going mad with what this is going to be about and could it be something substantial despite it sounding like the worst thing.
2: Also, also, uh, New Beverly opens uh, June 1st and I have my tickets for it for the second day. Of June, so again, who
1: cares? Okay, all
2: right, you know what? Ice is hurtful, man. Okay, ice is hurtful. That
3: means the DVD room in Edwin's home will be unprotected. On- <laughs> and
2: I, I have a weapon now, so I'm not afraid to use
0: this. You should be afraid to use it. This is a conversation for when we go off mic. Um, we'll quit recording, guys. I uh, thank you, thank you, everybody. Everybody that you heard has been just going non stop. Basically, this transition back to theaters has been rewarding. Where you know, it's uh, let's knock wood. It, The club is open The million dollar theater is open But it's a lot, a lot of work And everybody that you heard speaking Has been busting their butt to make it happen So thank you And uh, we'll leave you with When you hear this on Friday Join us Saturday for Edge of Tomorrow Mad Max Fury Road on 35mm At the million dollar theater You can go next door at the intermission Or whenever, before or after Get food at Grand Central Market Bring in beer and food It's actually pretty awesome Because they run them together The owners own both the market and the theater And then Sunday we're doing Lion King at the drive-in if you want a family event and then monday get ready i believe our most ambitious day of programming ever we are doing three Kubricks, all on 35 dr strangelove 2001 and the shining all at the million dollar and i we think it can happen this was something daniel said and it it kind of made me a little more comfortable with the going for this idea you can get breakfast at the grand central market watch strange love go get lunch watch 2001 go get dinner watch Watch The Shining and it's all right there And I will say it's actually our hottest Ticket this week and so you may When you hear this you may want to get tickets Because it's actually already um, moving to 50% which is amazing so there you go um, Next week because we're doing This Kubrick triple um, we are Going to be introing a side podcast Which we hope you guys will dig And we're gonna, we're experimenting with many things but this Podcast was something that my Friend Stephen Grest and I recorded uh, Just a few months ago and it was Stephen's idea And I loved it and it was a, a separate idea idea we kind of merged that I had, which is we took a controversial cinema question and we debated it. And this one was, is On Her Majesty's Secret Service one of the great Bond movies? Now, it may have been phrased differently, but that was essentially the proposition. I think it is. It's in my top three Bonds. My friend Steve, whose taste I respect and admire a lot, thinks it doesn't work at all for a whole host of reasons. You guys are going to have to make up your own minds. You'll hear that. And then we're going to have future debates. You might be hearing Connor and Edwin. You might be hearing Daniel. And Sarah, you might be hearing other people bringing things up and debating them from time to time. Next week we'll be Honor, Majesty's Secret Service, and whether it's one of the great Bond movies. And lastly, as always, everything that you're listening to has been edited by our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz, who uh, not only is doing these things, he's doing our pre-shows. So thank you, thank you, everybody. I'll see everybody this week for our week of movies, and that's it. Have a good week, Bye.
3: guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Milan is really good. Sure about that? Yes. I don't believe you. Watch it.
2: I won't.